0: we're recording inside the cohab podcast studio space under the texas street bridge by the red river in downtown shreveport louisiana and this is the 3180 podcast what is going on in the 318 what is our current identity shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be it's time for shreveport to make a 180 every thursday we are having conversations about doing just that we're talking to people who are making the difference in our city i'm josh clayton i'm thomas young Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Dr. Julie Lessiter at LSUS, welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for being on here today. So you were recommended to this podcast by uh by some friends of ours, um, Doug and Mary Lois. Yes. And and they they said that you can give us some positive conversations about things that we can actually make happen here in Shreveport.
1: Absolutely. Uh so- I'm, I'm very excited to tell everybody about what we're doing at LSUS. We, uh, we've kind of entered into a new era at LSUS where we are uh, making change happen.
0: Well, that's awesome. And, and you told us a little bit about that uh, before we started recording. But first, I, I want to ask you, where are you are from and um, and how how did you get here? How did you get here to Shreveport? What's going on?
1: Well, I originally came to the United States. I'm from England and uh, came to the U.S. in 1994 and was an international tennis player and was recruited um, uh, to Northwestern State and had a fantastic experience there down in Natchitoches, Louisiana, and uh, stayed there, worked there for about 10 years, and um, then uh, moved to Arkansas for a couple of years and then back to Shreveport.
0: Okay. Did you play tennis down at Northwestern?
1: I did. I mm-hmm. did. We, we had a great time, great uh, student-athlete experience.
0: And, and then you worked there for a time too, huh?
1: yeah so my first career was in uh intercollegiate athletics, so I was in charge of academics and student welfare, so that's always an interesting job when you are trying to get eighteen to twenty two year olds to uh, pass their classes go to class be interested in class while they're uh many of them have professional sporting aspirations but um you know they they've got about three hundred student athletes down there who um, do very well academically and it's it's a great school and a, a great place if you ever have a student athlete that's looking for post high school competition
0: well good deal uh, um, what, tell us about growing up in England what was that like and and uh, what what was life like across the pond
1: um mostly like it is weather wise today cold and wet you know mm-hmm. they there's a uh, um, reputation that British people like to talk about the weather and that's absolutely true we love talking about the weather all the time but um, very very different um, in in terms of access and opportunity I think in America there's so much more access and opportunity Um, the ability to travel um, from one state to the next to be playing uh, sports I think there's a lot more opportunity in the United States. Um, you know, England's an island, so if you want to travel internationally, you've got to fly or take a ferry or somehow to do that. But, you know, educational systems very different. Sporting systems are very different. Um, we had a lot of admiration for people in the United States, and that, that's how Europe is. People think the United States is the best place in the world to live, and whatever you read in the media, it's probably not as accurate as if you actually talk to people who live there.
0: What's the education system like over there? I mean, you're you're a product of their education system, but then you came over here for higher ed, and now you've worked in higher ed for most of your post collegiate career. So, what what's it like in, in kindergarten? I mean, did you go to private school, public school? Is it like neighborhood school?
1: Yeah. So, actually, public school is private there. It's very confusing. So, we'll keep it in American terms. So, went to public school. Um, so, you go to uh, school from five to eleven that's called primary school, and then you go from 11 to 16 to secondary school, Um, and then when you're 16, so you study about 10 subjects, and when you're 16, you take a comprehensive exam um, that you have been preparing for since you essentially were 11, so five years of education, and at the end of it, you take a comprehensive exam, and um, you make an A, B, C, D, or F, and then you're let go. There's no high school graduation, per se. There's no walking across the stage or getting a diploma. You just either pass your classes or you don't. And so if you then want to go on to further your education, you of course have to pass. Uh, With good grades, then you would do an additional two years where you'd study two or three subjects, and then when you go to university, you'd study one subject. So it's very different than the higher ed model here where you come in, you do four years, uh, you, you graduate at 18, Then you go to college and do four years and that general education piece um, is is not um, done at at like a British university. So if you were going to a British university to study history, you would only study history. You wouldn't do that gen ed piece as well. But I think for me the biggest difference, the first time I ever took a multiple choice test was when I took an SAT. And uh, I'd never seen one before, and I was really confused. I'm like, "What? What do they want me to do? Like, bubble in something? Like, I, I don't know how this works." Um, so, what we're taught to do, perhaps more, is um, short essay, like explain how something works. So, I think there's a lot more critical thinking that goes in, instead of just rote memorization of, all right, ha- what was the date of, you know, when did Columbus um, come to the or discover the United States? the Americas. And so, you know, it, it's more of an application of knowledge, perhaps, than a memorization of what things occurred and when they occurred. So, you know, it's been kind of interesting to compare the two um, educational systems.
0: Well, what, okay, so what what five subject, subjects did you study between 11 and 16?
1: Boy, now you're asking some good questions.
0: Well, so, I mean, you get your math and yeah, science. And, yeah,
1: well, uh, individuals. So... It was math, chemistry, physics, biology, English, um, Spanish, French, history, economics.
0: It's way more than five. It's ten. Yeah. Oh, you, oh, there's ten, ten subjects yeah. between ages 11 and 16. 16 yeah. and That's then, your,
2: your sort of base. You lay in a base, and then you start to uh, become more specialized, specialized. as yeah. you go By the time you're
0: yeah. in university, you're only yeah. studying right. one. one. So, okay, so... Language was obviously three parts of that ten. Yes. Okay. Did you did they make you read British lit or did they let you read American Lit? Um
1: mostly we did uh British Lit. Okay. I can I'm embarrassed to say that my American history uh was probably three weeks of the entire five <laughs> years. So when I sat for the um citizen exam, um I really had to study up on American history because there was a lot of questions there's a hundred standard questions and they ask you like three or four but they won't tell you which ones.
2: But they, there is also uh, it's the length of time that you're covering in American history is is Much shorter. very yeah. short compared to uh, any European history Absolutely. So like yeah. when we go to study European history it's like oh you could you know all this stuff over here but the whole time through primary school we get taught the same nine, maybe factual, maybe not stories, um, <laughs> you know, about Columbus or each one of those things. It's interesting. Uh,
0: and about the Redcoats. Right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why they didn't teach you much American lit. They didn't want right. to tell you how awesome we are over
1: well, here. All I've got to say is the <laughs> biggest mistake y'all ever made was throwing that tea in the ocean, right? Because <laughs> now you drink cold tea and being in the British person that I am, I'm still drinking hot tea with milk and sugar.
2: And Can you teach have- a class on, on how, to, on make how to make good tea. Because I think it's a very uh, specific skill that that it's not hard to learn, but you have to you have to learn it and then you have to practice it.
1: Yes, the key is to put the milk in first. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Got to put the milk in first; otherwise, you've just failed at the first step.
2: So Do you warm the milk?
0: No. You cold milk? Yes. Doesn't it make the hot tea cold? No. Hmm.
1: Definitely going
0: to have Josh in a class, right? Yeah, I'll I'll have to drink a lot of coffee before I go to the tea (laughs) class and learn how to make the tea. Um, Okay, so you go through – you you mentioned earlier your high school, which was 16, 17, 18, you primarily played tennis. Yes. We had some schools like that here in Shreveport around Louisiana where you played football for like an entire year between middle school and high school. So did you take any subjects in in those teenage years or did you – well, I mean, what did you do in high school besides play tennis or what, in what we would call your 17-year-old, 18-year-old, you guys call high school after you get out of secondary?
1: Mm-hmm. So, so in England, you go to high school from 11 to 16. And oh, yeah, then the- you would do A-levels, what they call A-levels, 17 and 18. So I knew that if I wanted to come to America after uh, high school, that was the only qualifications I would need, what I had done by the time I was 16. So I took a couple of years and um, played tennis on the ITF tour and um, was traveling around Europe trying to uh, increase my ranking, didn't do as well as I wanted to do, so then decided, uh, you know, I can keep trying to do this or I can go to the United States, be a freshman at 18 with uh, everyone else who's going at 18, and so that's what I I did. So I actually, what our educational system at 16 is the equivalent of your 18
0: you already had algebra and geometry and all that sort of stuff by the time you're 16 yeah
1: and the funny thing is we don't break it down like that we just call it math and uh-huh. so I didn't know that I was learning algebra per se or geometry or trigonometry it's all under the umbrella of math okay um, but yeah um, we learned we had learned calculus all of that
2: by the time you're sixteen yeah. Yeah. It also, it seems like you, what you were saying is like, and then you take a comprehensive. And if you didn't get it, then yeah, okay, bad, go sorry, yeah. like work at a factory. Yes. Go go yeah. get. Here are the jobs you can get if you yes. didn't do good in math. If you did okay yeah. in math, you you can either go on or you can yeah. study yeah. math.
1: Yeah. Now, now here's a huge difference too. So, um, in America, you get like a three month summer break. Mm-hmm. We got six weeks, mm-hmm. and so then we'd also go from school from like seven thirty to four o'clock every day. And so, um, it, it, yeah, it's very different.
0: Seven thirty a.m. to four p.m. daily, from the time you're five till the time you're sixteen. Yes. Okay. So, um, all right. So, what's the literacy rate like in in England? I mean, is it much higher than the U.S.? Is it?
1: W- that's a great question. I, I have no idea.
0: Do you feel like the education system is? You're better prepared at the age of sixteen than a lot of the U.S. kids are at eighteen. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, yes, I, you are.
2: Okay. Because yeah. most of, like, what you're saying is you, you go seven to four or whatever. And that was my biggest thing was, like, wait, we're sitting here from seven to three, like, from 16. Though you're what, like a junior maybe at 16? Sophomore, sophomore, junior. Yeah. Okay, so you still have two more years and, and you're breaking down, okay, this year I'm going to learn trigonometry, whereas you at 16 already know all of that and can then continue to study or go, go do something. Yeah, That's be an that apprentice was, or get
1: yeah. a job. Or, yeah. I, think,
0: I think I'm sure you were a good student and you did well, <sighs> maybe.
1: I was a fair student. Fair
0: student. But, I mean, like, does that education system leave a lot of kids behind if they can't keep up? Or I mean, I'm just, I don't know. In in the United States, I feel like.
2: It seems it, like a less um, babying system. There's not as mo- Like, if you can't do it, great. Find something else. Like, there's a lot of people here, not a lot of space. We got a lot of stuff to do. Uh, it's, I think.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, it-
2: English, uh, like, people have, they just have a different, like. You're, you, yeah, there's, like, a proper... Like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to school, and yeah. you're either going to do good or you're not. There's no, like, we're <laughs> going right. to keep you, like...
1: Yeah, if you don't do well, here's some apprenticeship tracks. Like, you right. could be an electrician, a welder, you know. It, I think... So so I have this analogy that nowadays the bachelor's degree is the equivalent of the high school degree, and the master's degree is the old bachelor's degree. So, you know, if if you're looking... To move up in in any kind of job field, I think that in your 21, 22, 23 years old, you have to get that master's degree now um, because that's what people are looking for when they're hiring. But, um, you know, there's also multiple other options for people that don't like school. And I don't know that we're telling enough 16, 17, 18 year olds in the United States that perhaps it's okay not to go to college. There Mm -hmm. are other options for you as well. And so as someone who works in higher education, maybe that sounds um, like contrary to what I promote every day, but, you know, I I truly believe that everyone deserves the opportunity and the access to higher ed, but but it's not for everyone. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, maybe you go and be an electrician and then maybe your maturity level's higher later on in life and that's when you come back and you get your degree and then you run a company that's Filled with electricians, yeah. you know. I think everyone finds their time at their at their right time. Yeah. Um, we just try to push everybody into um, or pigeonhole them into. Well, here's what you should do. Um, kind of process.
0: So w- when you got accepted into Northwestern, did you have to then sit for an SAT so they could get your SAT and call you good enough to get in? Or, or, yeah, I th- had to do that
1: first. Okay. Um, so so for international students, they have to have um, the right. SAT, ACT score, um, an evaluation of their transcripts mm-hmm. by an evaluating company, um, and then um, if you're not native English speaker, a test of English mm-hmm. as a foreign language, TOEFL. Um, so, so once once you met all the requirements, then yeah, it's pretty smooth sailing okay. to get a visa.
0: So, what did you get a degree in from Northwestern?
1: Well. I got a bunch because I like going to school. So uh, my first degree was in exercise science, um, and then I got a master's degree in sports administration, and then I went back and got a business degree, Um, then I went to Arkansas State and got a master's, an MBA, and then I got a doctorate degree from Lamar, Um you know, I, I was always bored and like, oh, I'm re- I'd love to learn, so what else can I do? What else can I learn? So now, now we have YouTube, which is even better for me because I can learn really whatever I want on YouTube.
0: Except they don't send you
2: like a YouTube certificate for you having could completed. Get one. We could make you one. Yeah so, we'll, yeah,
1: so one of the things we're trying to do along those lines is badging. So um, badge skills mm-hmm. uh, so that you can then electronically put that on your LinkedIn page as well. So that you can say, okay, well, I've got a bachelor's degree, but I also have a badge in, you know, I I excel at communication or um, I know how to use Excel at the mastery level or um, I can use R statistical software to look at data analysis. So it's badging these little pieces of uh, degree programs so that you can not just say, I've got a bachelor's degree in business because a lot of people got a bachelor's degree in business. What does that mean you can actually do? right, And so... Yeah, I think that's a pretty neat um, piece that we're looking at. But people ask me this all, all the time too. So why do you have higher education if people can learn on YouTube? And I'm like, you know, is, is YouTube going to take over from a traditional higher ed um, location? They say no, because you know what higher ed teaches people to do, and this is what we look at when you're looking at what employers want from uh, people that they employ nowadays, is can they sit and communicate with each other? Can they work in teams? Can they collaborate? And so if you're just learning on YouTube, which is fine if you can learn that way, um, but but do you have those social skills to be able to work together as a team? Or can you communicate effectively? And so I think that's also the real value of higher education and what we're teaching people is those, you know, people call it many things, but we call it soft skills. Um, because if you just go out with technical skills and you don't have the ability to communicate or work in a team, then... You may, you may enter a job at, say, say $60,000 a year, which would be great, right? But you're never going to move beyond that. And so we're trying to prepare people that are going to be managers and leaders. And that's really what I think the higher ed um, brings, brings to it. We can teach you the technical skills, which we need to do. We need to teach you also the metacognitive skills so that you can learn about learning and so that you can apply your learning. But then we also need to teach those soft skills so that we can prepare that next generation of managers and leaders in any field.
0: So you're doing that at LSUS? Yeah. All
1: right,
0: and what brought you to LSUS?
1: Um, I had met the provost at the time um, at at some other sort of meeting. I forget where I'd met him, and I was really impressed with what he was doing, and they had a position open. Uh, I think my first position there was associate vice chancellor of academic affairs, and um So working in athletics, you work seven days a week, you're at every ball game, you get calls at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, student athletes, coaches, and uh, I was like, boy, I'm I'm working all the time and uh, is this really what I want to do? And so I I talked to him a little bit and said, you know, I'd like to make a transition out of athletics. Um, Do you have anything uh, that, that you think I can do? And so I'm a very analytical person, very data-driven, very numbers-driven. And he said, yeah, I've got this position open. It uh, does a little bit of institutional research, um, federal reporting, state reporting. Uh, I also need someone to come in and look at like retention and do the analysis on that and see how we can improve that. So that was really the first job that I had there, writing accreditation documents as well. And so um, he, he was fantastic. He kind of gave me a blank slate and said here's here's the parameters of the job. if you see anything else you want to do, run with it so um, that, how that long was, ago was that that was twenty ten
0: okay, and that yep. was your first year at l s u s yes, yeah, so what all have you done in the last nine years over at, at that school? I know before we started recording, you mentioned i mean you rattled off a number of things to be very proud of in recent years but yeah. um so from twenty ten to twenty nineteen at l s u s what all have you gotten to be a part of
1: so if you look at the years of 2010 to 2019, and I actually teach in the higher education uh, concentration too, so I'm trying not to get into uh, teacher mode here, but um, 20, 2013, 14, 15 um, was uh, really in in Louisiana in higher ed really difficult uh, in terms of funding. And so we were very much close to just maintaining core uh, function, which was education. So a lot of uh, if people left, we weren't replacing positions, uh, we weren't hiring faculty. We were really at our core mission. When I got there in 2010, our budget was about a $30 million budget. Um, $18 million of that came from the state. So self-generated funds from tuition and fees was about $12 million. So we were running about 4,000, 4,500 students um, annually. In 2015, 2016, our state appropriations, still running about a $30 million budget, State appropriations were $7 million.
0: $11 million cut in, from 2010 to 2015.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just, that's not LSUS. That's across the board. Yeah. Um, so um, the percentage would be the same for every school. Right. Uh, the dollar amount's different, you know, depending on where you started. So those were really, really difficult times. Um, particularly you know a lot of a lot of the operating budget is tied up in payroll because you've got faculty you've got staff you've got people uh, support services um, then you've got instructional support, those types of things libraries so you know a lot of people have complained about uh, increase in tuition and fee costs, mm-hmm. but when you're trying to operate an institution you've only got seven million coming in from the state you've you've still got to make make up that twenty three million dollars yeah. Uh, that's why we had to raise tuition and fees, um, and Louisiana is one of two states that needs legislative approval to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in order to do that, we were having to hit benchmarks on student success, like retention, uh, passage rates of uh, nationwide exams, accreditation, uh, efficiency rates. Um, so, we, so there was a lot going on in Louisiana between 2010 and 2015, mm-hmm. uh, really trying to improve the status in terms of outcomes um
0: well i mean we don't have to get too deep into this but i mean obviously those were the Jindal years yes and and in the Jindal years i mean he he was known for some very deep cuts and deep cuts education as well and now we're four years into the john bell years and he's has, has he changed that uh, has he changed that trajectory in a positive way?
2: According to the TV, no, he has not ever. Well, it was what? a huge lie. I'm well, just telling they, you, what I saw on TV yesterday has to be the truth. Well, <laughs> I yeah. said cynically. So this,
1: yes, this is what we're trying to <clears throat> teach our students as well, right? How to, and whether or not that's fake news, that's not for me to comment on, but how, how to uh, take information, information literacy, we call it digital literacy as well, and what's true and what's not true. And so do you believe everything that you see on social media? Do you believe everything you see on the TV? But- um So, I will say that, under John Bell Edwards, our funding has stabilized okay, and that for us is really uh beneficial so actually, the provost um, who was then interim chancellor um went probably in twenty thirteen twenty fourteen made strategic investment with a company um to the an outside company that helps us with recruitment um online marketing um and an investment in online academic programs. And so right now from, you know, our enrollment was about 4,500. That was traditionally where we were. We were down to about 4,000 in 2015. Okay. And as of fall 2019, we're at 8,572. Wow. So I had no idea. So you yeah, guys... We've almost doubled our
2: enrollment. Is that is, Does that fall along that line of, of uh, local student with... Uh, online student Does it
1: Yeah, so, our, so this year we've actually had a huge turnaround in our face-to-face undergraduate enrollment. This has been the first year, and we've made some really positive impacts on A, how we recruit, B, how we've streamlined the process, um, our scholarship packaging, um, information, like how we tell our story. Um, but a lot of that also is uh, through strategically positioning online academic programs, and, you know, we, we have really quality um, programs that are offered at a price that is uh, affordable to people. So again, you're looking at opportunity and access. So you have it in a modality where working professionals trying to get their master's degrees. Um, so they work all day long. So can they be expected to come physically uh, to a location? Well, I, I'll tell you as a personally, that that's not feasible for, for me. That's not feasible for parents who are mm-hmm. trying to get with their kids um so online opens up a lot of opportunity and then uh when you're when you're looking at the price point that we're offering uh these academic programs at it's we're also looking at access so
2: in those programs i understand just from like speaking with Doug uh white he he he's like you know if you think you might want to get a masters just take here's the courses that we're going to teach for the masters you can take a couple of those, you decide you don't want to do it you're not You haven't spent a whole bunch of time and money. Right. But if you do decide, you know what, I think this would really help me. Uh, I spoke with the company that I work for and they said that they'll help me finance it. And I could, that's a potential for for me to move up in the company. Then you can, you already got several of those things under your belt. You understand kind of what the time is going to be to do so. And he said that he sees, because he teaches several of those classes. And he's like, I have a lot of people that, you know, maybe they're in a whole different place, but that, you know, they show up. They they work hard and they are uh, an asset to the rest of the people yeah. who maybe are in that same boat where it's like I'm not sure I want to do this, yeah. Yeah. but once you decide that you do want to do it, then then you're you're sort of you can take a baby step and see if it's something that you're you're really interested in doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I think also so in our online academic programs, we got a lot of people in Louisiana in those programs. We also have at least one person in each of the states enrolled in our programs. So I'll tell you what that does too because for my class, when I'm teaching my class, and I teach online but I have a synchronous piece of it as well. So at 8 o'clock every Wednesday night we all sit together in this Zoom class which is um, kind of like Skype software but you can see everybody, you can talk to everyone, you can raise your hand, you can do breakout groups but including people that have a diverse background um, globally when you're talking about um, helping the next generation think uh, culturally differently from a global perspective, instead of just having a classroom with people who all grew up in the same city or the same state that you did with that same thought pattern, you're now exposing them to lots of different thoughts, lots of different uh, cultural experiences. And I think there's so many benefits to that because that prepares you to walk into a workplace where there's going to be people who look different than you are, who think differently than you are. And that's a great training ground to accept that maybe what I've been taught or believed all my life may not be what other people think or may not be true, or it's broadening their horizons. And I think that's a huge part of what higher education needs to do and should do, and we're doing this every day.
2: But I think it, too, it gives some of those soft skills, even though they're, you know, they're separated by some technology it's still, you know, if you can break out with, uh, you know, several other students to, to work on something, then you still have to, you have to talk to them, you know. Yeah. And so even if you're and, talking to a screen, you're right. talking to a but, screen with yeah. four but, faces on it. Right, yeah. right? but yeah. with a, someone who has grown up and is going to college now, they've probably always interfaced with a screen.
1: Absolutely, so. absolutely. We, yeah, we talk about all the time from a pediological standpoint, how do you meet the student? where they are because this generation doesn't know or has has never had experience without an iPhone or without that ability so I always talk to them about the rotary phone like you know when you you've dialed eight numbers and then you do the ninth one wrong and you're like oh my gosh gotta start (laughs) over or um, you know how did I always ask this question how did did we know when the trains were going to leave in France uh, when we showed up I think you just showed up and sat around and waited a lot more, right? But you didn't have an iPhone to play on, so did you bring a book and read it? Or? Yeah,
2: or you talked to people. people or, or yeah. there like, And that's yeah. also, like, there France. used to be magazine stands yeah. and newspapers, yeah. like, and all of that stuff was a lot less, you know, a lot people less people were looking at their hand. yeah. Um, during that time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So.
2: And you
0: built soft skills from the time you were a kid because you learned how to interact with people yeah, and ask them to. when the trains come. Yeah, you right? had
1: to. Yeah, right. absolutely.
0: Well, let's bring, the, I mean, you guys have over 8,000 people enrolled. Is that part-time, full-time? Does that encompass the entire gamut of enrollment?
1: Yes, yes, that's everyone, undergraduate, graduate. Um, so that, I think that's something we're really proud of too. Because so how, did, how did
0: you guys get there? Like, how? Tell us what, what LSUS is doing um, to attract that many students.
1: So I I think when you look at the LSU brand, first of all, uh, that attracts students. There's only two uh, institutions in the entire nation that are known by their acronym. So that's UCLA and LSU. And so that brand sells very well. Um, And then when you look at it's an online uh, program, we have a really strong online MBA that's ranked very high. We have strong online education, master's uh, education curriculum, instruction, uh, nonprofit, uh, masters in health administration so we have some really strong programs um, and then looking at the modality of uh, online learning and we we do this in compressed sessions a seven week so you can step in and step out so if you've got life gets in the way like you were saying uh, and you need to take a break uh, it's pretty easy to come and go um, and then also at the price point uh, so a, a degree a master's degree any one of those will run you from about ten thousand to about twelve thousand dollars, which is affordable for people. When you're looking at, um, you know, other competitors around the nation that you know anywhere from thirty thousand dollars on upwards. Yeah, so. what's
0: your executive MBA program? Like, if you wanted to jump in on that, how much would it cost, start so we, to finish?
1: So we don't have an executive MBA program anymore. We do everything online. But um, if you look around at an executive uh, EMBA programs. They're usually running again from like $25,000 to $30,000. Oh yeah, and more? Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and you guys can afford, you can provide that for twelve. you said? $12,000, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, what else are you proud of that's going on at LSU? So when
1: you've, when you've got enrollment at 8,500 students, you know, we've taken a lot of the tuition dollars and we're trying to build out um, more active learning spaces, um, putting technology into the classroom, uh, what we're really trying to do is prepare this next generation for um, to make themselves the best that they can be for their careers and so what we've done is we've taken some of those tuition dollars and really built out our spaces on campus so first one that we opened this past uh, year knowing our proximity to the Air Force Base we really felt it was important to um, provide additional services for students who are veterans mm-hmm. so we opened our Veterans Center Um, and this has been huge for us. We have about 500 students who are either active or retired military um, on our campus and this is a place for them to go meet with like um, students, um, offer services. Um, We actually had um, the statewide veterans association chair come and talk to our veterans group and get them some help um, getting into the VA, um, trying to get appointments there. So that was great. He did a great job with that. Um, so we've done the Veterans Center. Then we've opened a design thinking space that's based on the Stanford models. So that's intentionally teaching students how to critically and creatively problem solve. That's one of the largest um, competencies that we talk to industry about, like what, what do you need in our graduates? And they always say we, we want critical thinkers, we want problem solvers. Um, and so we've really tried to, um, embrace that and we're now teaching courses on creative problem solving. We're trying to make that as part of the general education so that every student, um, has that class where they're intentionally taught, here's the way, here's the process, uh, to creatively problem solve. So one of the other projects that we've been working on as well is, um, a 10,000 square foot, if you've ever been to LSUS, it was the old, uh. First of all, it was the library, then it was the bookstore. But uh, now it's in the technology center, the 10,000 square foot cyber collaboratory. So this is going to have a cyber security classroom in it. But we're also trying to put in there um, a um, government command and control center, which we can operate IoT, smart cities, off of. We're talking with the city about doing smart cities and how do we partner with some other industries to do that. uh, have a simulation piece for DOD, um, smart kitchens also to run IoT, uh, exam room of the future.
2: I'm I'm sorry, I'm ignorant here. What is IoT? Uh,
1: Internet of Things. So like, uh, your wearables. Hey,
2: turn the light on. An yeah. Internet light, of Things. Yes, yes. Uh, everything uh, that has basically your refrigerator yeah. and your washing machine okay. and yeah. everything. Okay. I'm else. sorry to interrupt. I I have no, no, idea. absolutely.
1: Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I I talk about this like. Everybody knows what it is, and then I have to back up and say, "Okay, maybe maybe." Lawyers not are does usually
0: it. way behind the technology curve. So, like for the most part, yeah, yeah. IoT, Internet of Things. Things yeah, so gotcha.
1: If, if you have a wearable, which right. Both of us do right here. Um, tracking the data from that. So one of the fun projects that uh, which is part of our strategic plan is called Healthy Communities. Um, that's one of our pillars, and so having a competition on campus. Um, everyone who has a wearable, so taking that data. And being able to plot it and see who's who's had the most steps today, or do it on a monthly basis, like who's who's okay. winning, um, and then give prizes to people, so that you're promoting that healthy community through a project that our students are working on. It's collecting that data just to to show okay. very simple data. Um, anytime you talk to Alexa, uh, that information is getting collected. So much information is getting collected out there. Um, That's why the rise of data analytics, um, we're putting in a data visualization cave so that we can collect the data and then present it uh, visually. Um, We're also trying to do um, augmented reality, virtual reality for training and simulation purposes, which I think is the next wave of um, how you're going to do training for all types of different industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the prototyping lab where you'd have the 3D printers, mill presses, those types of things. And then perhaps in collaboration with the Health Science Center, because I think it's really important for our two institutions to work together, um, to do 3D printing of um, prosthetics, those types of things, like a biofabrication lab, um, also helping generate new academic degree programs uh, that are relevant in current uh, technology, um, so that, again, our students are well-prepared we're not looking at what students need to be well-prepared for in 2020. We're looking, okay, how do we prepare the next generation for 2035? So how, how do we teach them not specific technologies, but how to use technology to improve organizational outcomes um, and that metacognitive ability to be able to do that?
0: So is that your vision for the cyber collaboratory or has it already been built out? And- it's been built out,
1: yeah, we're just now in the process of working with a faculty committee to put projects into curricula um so this is the really exciting piece um, so taking technology and putting that into humanities programs, mm-hmm. not just into the the traditional science programs. so how do you um how do you how do you do that right so Can you imagine if you walk into this visualization cave, and some of our computer science students have programmed it with the help of the digital art students, that you are now walking through Tutankhamun's uh, tomb. Mm -hmm. And so instead of seeing that on a 2D page, you're actually immersed in this vision. And so it's bringing history or bringing the humanities to life. Um... So we're doing this, uh, we, we, LSUS has just uh, worked with um, uh, the Colonial Dames. Um, they've gifted us the Spring Street Museum. Mm-hmm. And so how do you take the history of Shreveport and bring that alive so that you then, then can bring K-12 K through 12 in and give them that experience? So it teaches our students how to use emergent technology to do that, but it also then helps teach that next generation, not just the technology, but the history, um, so we're really excited about those types of things.
0: I want to back up real quick. Yes. You now, LSUS now owns the Spring Street Museum. Yes. Congratulations on Thank your you. downtown presence. What's yes. the plan for that?
1: Absolutely. So, or can you
0: reveal the plan for yeah, that?
1: Yeah, I, I can absolutely do that. So okay. on our campus, we have the Pioneer Heritage Center uh-huh, as sure. well. So, how, so we're talking about packaging it all together um, for a cultural trail so that we can uh, then work with a multicultural center as well and partner with um, Susla, who have some of the original shotgun houses mm-hmm. um, in Shreveport, so that you can teach that history um, to students, have them go Pioneer Heritage, um, Spring Street Museum, um, multicultural center, so, so that you're giving them that whole entire perspective of this is what Shreveport was like, this is your history. Um, and then for people who come to Shreveport as well, who maybe don't know, like you have a lot of people from out of state come to the casinos that are also looking for other things to do. Mm -hmm. When you look at who's actually visited Spring Street Museum, it's the K-12 population, and then people who just were downtown and stopped in because they were at the casino.
0: A lot of people come through our town, and I don't think a lot of the locals give respect to that. People come to Shreveport for all sorts of things, including casinos, softball tournaments, bass fishing tournaments. Absolutely. And the thing that they came for only occupies a day or two of a four day trip. What, and, and they're looking for cool things to do. Yeah. And we have plenty of them. We just need yeah. to do a very good job of, um, or a better job of, of letting folks know right. about Marketing
1: them. Right. Marketing them. Yeah. Working with the Tourism Bureau to be mm-hmm. able to do that. So.
0: Well, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to what, what comes to fruition on the Spring Street Museum. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's going to be great.
0: So, what does this mean for the larger Shreveport? I how many employees does LSUS employ?
1: So right now, we're probably about 450 um, people who work at LSUS on the payroll. Um, But I think what we're trying to do, and we just got just a little bit over a million dollar grant, can't say who from yet, but that's about to be announced, um, to prepare that next generation for workforce. And so between the design thinking space, the collaboratory, uh, infusing what I call digital dexterity into academic programs, which is... Regardless of the academic program, we're teaching technology. Um, Again, that's really easy to say how you do that in the sciences, how you do that in the humanities. I talk about all the time, um, if you don't know how to run a social media analytics um, or a social media campaign and Mm -hmm. then look at the analytics Mm -hmm. to see how successful that was, we failed our students in that respect. So putting technology in, how do you communicate innovatively, Mm -hmm. doing podcasts, uh, um, short videos, uh, through data visualization. So that's the kind of technology you can use in those areas as well so that any person that graduates from LSUS can walk into an organization and have the technical ability to make improvements to that organization um, or whatever, through whatever uh, job field that they're in. And so I think that is helping provide that pipeline um, to be able to attract businesses to this region But then I also think there's the ability for us through our creative problem solving, our design thinking space, and the collaboratory, which is like hands-on active learning, um, to be able to take students from all disciplines and get them working together to solve problems, um, to then be able to create small businesses Mm -hmm. in a safe environment where they can fail fast, learn fast, scale fast, and then be able to take that um, out into industry because I think the best way to grow Shreveport is through small business. If we can get lots of small businesses launched, um, then, then we stand a much better chance of raising the profile of Shreveport.
0: Are your, are your students or your graduates sticking around Shreveport? Or are they looking for greener pastures?
1: You know, a lot of our students are. So what we found in recruitment is at the undergraduate level, um, about 92% of our students are from a 70-mile radius.
0: 92% of the students are within a se- or from within a 70-mile radius of Shreveport. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, and so you're looking at students who choose to stay in Shreveport. Perhaps they're place-bound, perhaps they um, we talk about the not the new non-traditional student who 18, 19, 20 years old, maybe taking care of a parent, maybe has a job, um, maybe has a child and that they're then trying to get that education on top of that so here's life now how do we do education um and so they're going to stick around they're going to be here in Shreveport mm-hmm. and so Pla-
0: place bound is like a euphemistic way of saying they're for for other reasons maybe stuck here and they they're not going to be able to leave even if they wanted to leave
1: yeah i mean okay. I, I would put that in nicer terms yeah, they want sure, to, they want to be here well yeah um
0: but, but we we talk to a lot of people some on this podcast and some not that they that, oh, well, I got back to Shreveport and got stuck here. Or I didn't. Or I would like to leave, but I can't. But um, we you know we try to talk to people that say it's pretty good, pretty good life. I mean, you yeah. can kind of do whatever you want if you if you can figure out a way to make a living here. Yeah, you can live cheaply and and, and open your own business here. Yeah, if absolutely. If you know a handful of people, you can get a lot done.
1: Yeah, I think I think the really attractive thing about Shreveport is there's a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think what we've got to do is tap into that opportunity yeah. and work together to be able to uh, solve the problems that we've got. And I, I think there's enough smart people in this town to be able to do that. Um, I think that, again, it goes back to communication. How do we all sit in a room and communicate and figure out how we uh, together can elevate that? You've got some really, really good uh, institutions of, of higher education. You've got Centenary, you've got bipsy you've got SUSLA, you've got LSUS. Um, and we're all working together to get programs, programs, um, Two plus twos, um, collaborations, um, you know, I I think the higher ed field has started working much more closely together in the last probably four or five years. So I think that piece is done. I think think if we can produce that next generation of small business owners, Mm -hmm. then that will then build the economy here.
2: Okay. And there's, there, I, I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but the, how you collaborate there are there are entities in town that are uh you know angel funds and and startup prizes and all of those things do you, you guys work with them uh, or is there a a way to connect all those pieces is that yeah, yeah i mean you, if yeah. you've got some if you've
0: got some for lack of a better term well students not kids but if you got some students that are working in the in the design space and the cyber collaboratory and they come up with some ideas. Is, is there a pathway for uh possible funding is there a pathway to get into you know kind of like we're sitting in cohab right now but there's also EAP the you know where they help they help good ideas turn into these small businesses that as you say can can bring Treeport yeah. forward
1: a- absolutely yeah. um and so what we're also looking at in the collaboratory so there's three prongs to it it's the K12 piece where we work with K12 to help um do summer camps to get uh make sure They're still involved in STEM throughout the summer. And then training the trainers, so teacher training on the latest emergent tech. But then there's also, so and then what we do for our students in there in terms of academic programming and um, beyond the academics, uh, just pet projects that people want to work on or ideas that they have. But then we also want to work with industry to say, you know, do you have a problem? And, you know, we, we we have students who haven't been constrained by thought process or Mm -hmm. been told how to think yet Um, and so very creative and so maybe they can come up with a solution to your problem let's nothing's lost by letting them have at you know whatever problem it is to see what kind of solution they can have Um, and I think that is also where we um, work in the community to say okay bring us what your problems are we may not be able to do all of them we're going to prioritize you know what what can we do maybe we can't do that but um, to try to help solve some of these problems and then work with EAP, the other groups in town. Um, if it's successful to do, you know, we're already doing pilot pitch um, and various other things like that, but, uh, you know, try to help help uh, bring that small business up to fruition.
0: Maybe you could have like a, a Grow a Shreveport think tank out of one of these facilities on LSUS's campus. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. A, a problem slash solution well, think the, tank.
2: The, the thing that, um, what, how many. Like airmen, do you get? Uh, do you do you get people that are active military that that come to take classes, or do they? I don't. I'm yeah, not sure ab- how much ab- that time that takes. Absolutely,
1: they do. Um, they do. We ha- we have a lot of them actually. Uh, the veteran center is right next to the collaboratory. So as I'm over at the collaboratory frequently, I see a lot of them uh, in the Veterans center. So we we work a lot with the the base and with uh, global strike as well um, because I think there's opportunities. Um, The new four-star general, General Ray, is uh, really big into innovation and innovation um, through the airmen. And so how do they help the airmen get their ideas or solutions to problems um, outside of the Air Force to help them build that solution? uh, Yeah,
2: I'm wondering, it seems like, and I don't know this to be true, it just seems like there's a you know, the Air Force, all of that is a logistics-based thing, and we are sort of uh, where we're located. We have, you know, the river and the highways and the rail, and we have all that stuff here. I wonder why we can't retain more of those people after they are, you know, they go from active duty to, you know, private sector. Why, Why do we not and maybe we do, and I just don't know about it. But it's, yeah, I don't know the
1: stats on that one. Well, either. it seems yeah. like
2: it that logically to me, and maybe I'm totally confused. But it seems like that would be a, a great thing to, uh, as a city, to to propagate. If you have medical, you have a lot of medical, you have a lot of uh, military here, um, and you're kind of between you know Dallas and Jackson and uh, Little Rock, and you know. New Orleans, Baton Rouge, like you're right there, like moving all those parts around, and and uh, like I, I am certain that there's a data science piece of logistics that's like, oh man, if you can figure this out, that saves X amount on the en- this end of that. We would love to have that service because our job is moving this widget from here to there yeah. for this person, and they need us to do it at this price point. Yeah, so. I just I always wonder, like, how to figure... That's one of those things, like, conversations I'll have with, like, Doug, because Doug's a very... He's a data person. He he can very quickly, like, nope, that's wrong because this, that... And, you know, like, he can point me in a direction that's that's interesting. Um, yeah. But but I've wondered why. Like, how how do we find that out? I'm, well, I mean,
0: I, are there... You mentioned that people with Pell Grants get free tuition in l s u s now.
1: Yes, incoming freshmen. So, again... I may have said it once, twice. If I say it three times, I think it's really important. That's what I always tell my students in class. If I've said this three times, it's really important. So our mission is to increase access and opportunity for people, um, particularly in this region. And so a lot of people or or high school students um, can often think that higher education is it's too costly. It's out of the spectrum for them. Um, and so we're really trying to encourage people that, no, it's not. Like if you are on a Pell Grant... Um, you know what we'll do is take your Pell Grant the tops any institutional aid, and if there's if you owe any tuition after that we'll we'll cover the rest of it
0: what are are similar efforts being directed towards folks that are exiting Barksdale that maybe you know you mentioned that they they're trained they're trained up on logistics. Throughout their training, in the yeah, uh, yeah, and that's and,
2: just my like I don't really yeah, know. Like, that before, just seems they, logically before like they go try to get their that.
0: masters in their hometown, yeah, like while we still have them here, say hey, just come across the river. Yeah, you can use your GI Bill for this. Or, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think making that intentional push to support veterans mm-hmm. has really had a big impact.
0: Yeah, opening a veterans center and yeah. and that and. I guess creating a little bit of outreach there could maybe increase enrollment from that, Absolutely. From that sector. Yeah. Well, so you guys are actively bringing folks in, especially in the last four years you've doubled your enrollment. Um, a lot of the folks that graduate at LSU are staying here. You're increasing opportunity and access to your students. Um, as a, a United States transplant and a Shreveporter Porter of all things, what do you think this town can do better? Like the, the town as a whole, What do you think that we could do a better job of or our city government could do a better job of to make the quality of life better and to make people not want to leave?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, boy, I could probably talk on many different areas, but I think um, quality of life, um, to me, too, is really important. So um, the city has done a good job lately of putting in bike lanes, Mm -hmm. um, because when you're looking at young people, if that's who you're trying to attract, they're looking at not just you know how much does it cost for an apartment, but they're looking at what are the other things um, I I can do there, and, and they're very socially engaged. Um, they they want to be involved. They like the outdoors and activities. So, bike lanes, uh, redoing of the Clyde Fent pathway would be superb. Um, there's a lot of people in this town who are into fitness, triathlons, running. I mean, there's a 5K every weekend. Um, but promoting that, we, I think there's a lot of really, really good things that happen in Shreveport that we don't tell people about. And we, so I think if I could encompass my hour long, here's what we could do into maybe two minutes. I think if we could start marketing, um, and, and putting in positive PR about the great things that we do have in Shreveport, um, then I, you know, th- there's things to do downtown. We just opened a new park, um, I forget the name of it. Uh, Shreveport Common. There you go. Um, there's festivals. There's farmers markets. I mean, that sort of thing is what people are looking for in terms of quality of life. But if you're looking from the outside, we have never done a good marketing job of. Here's why it's cool to live in Shreveport. Um, I
0: agree. We'll we'll leave it. We'll leave that question at that and move towards the positive. Or what are what are some of your favorite? I mean, you just mentioned some of the things you like about Shreveport. But what are your? Do you do traveling?
1: Um, I used to. I did an yeah. Ironman. Yeah. Oh, I didn't do that. I did an Ironman and then no. went out. Went out on top. What do you do after the Ironman? Right. So. You quit
0: triathlon. That's you just quit. After, quit. Yeah. You know, I mean, wait, that's what one does after yeah. one does an Ironman. Yes. Think, or one I, should.
1: Yes. I. I. It was an inaugural I year. Ironman
2: watch. <laughs> right. That
1: counts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I still run a lot. I play tennis a lot. Um, but I, I think so. The great things about Shreveport is. I, and to me, you know, I left and went to Arkansas and then came back, is the people. Um, it's people genuinely care about you. Um, they're very warm and welcoming. Um, there's great restaurants. Uh, I, I don't profess to be a foodie in any way, shape, or form. Which but ones do you
0: like? <laughs> Food's a common theme around here. We
1: yeah, talk about I it love Mexican food. And so, you know, favorites, Key Mexico, um, any of the new, we have the Taco Wars Festival at LSU yeah, Shreveport, where yeah. you talk about being surprised the first year when about nine thousand people showed up <laughs> in we'll, the rain. In the rain, yeah, yeah. we only thought about a thousand people would. Gregory come draws then, a crowd. Yes, yes, um, and that's such a great event too. It, uh, you know, it, it really brings the cultural perspective to what we're trying to do by mm-hmm. celebrating the um, Hispanic Week there as well and boy, who doesn't love tacos? And um, So that's a, that's a great thing that we have on our campus, and every year people show up and, um, you know.
2: That's a great, that's the student center where that is? At the university center, yeah. Yeah, the university yeah, center. I yeah. yeah. went to uh, all y'all over there too. Like, yes. That's a, I, did, I had never been into the, that theater part. Yeah. I had been for the tacos, but yeah. I, I hadn't gone to, so. Yeah.
1: So one, cool. of the, one of the things we tried, we um, hired a director of event management probably three years ago now, maybe two years ago, because, you know, how do you become relevant in Shreveport? And so you've got to bring people out to campus. And so we weren't really being warm and welcoming to campus, to to community people. So we hired a director of events management to try to get some events out on campus. And we have, we probably oversubscribed now. We have events out there almost every day. But so, for example, this week we had Shakespeare on the steps. Um, so we brought in a Shakespeare acting group and they did uh, Midnight. Uh, mid- Midnight. Midsummer nice Dream. Yeah. Thank After you. Stream. Thank you for helping me out there. Um, and uh, maybe Macbeth in the morning and that in the afternoon. And it drew a great crowd. Um, we're doing a lot of things through our new curator curator at the Knoll Collection.
0: We Thomas and I took a tour of that. Uh, a friend of ours invited us all out, Delton Smith, organized yes. the group tour. Yeah. What's the curator's name? If, uh, uh, it's Dr.
1: Mika Britz.
2: Fascinating and super intelligent guy. Oh, yeah. Well, and you can go – you can – call over there and say like hey i'd like to set up a tour, up a tour. yeah and like it's, they it's have it's some super amazing. that is worth your time yeah. Yeah. that's fantastic yes.
1: they yeah. have an original and i'm a big winnie the pooh fan so they have this original winnie the pooh book and <laughs> they have way cooler stuff than that but that's what i always show people i'm like you gotta come see the winnie the pooh book it's the best one out there they, they, so. they
0: have a signed copy of one of einstein's books that yeah. i mean it, well, it, it's so cool he
2: he's a he is a historian and he's a big Napoleon, like Napoleon, yes. is what his his he studies. Yes,
1: yes. So he he was up at um, an embassy in Washington D.C. Uh, doing a presentation on that the other day. He's well. He is world renowned. We're so lucky to have him here at LSU yeah. Shreveport.
0: Yeah, and he and he feels very lucky to be in that collection too. I mean, yes. he loves the collection, and you can tell he's passionate about it. Yeah. And, and he continues to curate more items for the collection that yes. Mr. Noel started. So yeah. that uh, that is a. a I wanted to bring that up, and I'm glad you said it, because yeah. that, that was a, a great afternoon. Um, we're coming up on time, so I'll ask you the standard questions, which is, if you could send a text message out to everybody in Shreveport, what would you say to them?
1: Boy, now you're putting me on the spot, but oh, I'm going to yeah. be creative here. Be creative. Um well, I'm definitely going to plug LSU Shreveport because thats I truly believe in what we're doing and our mission. So I would say if I, had, if I had one text message, I would say, come out to campus. It's not the campus of 2010. It's a new day. It's a new campus. It's a new vibe. Um, and we're just killing it.
0: I think you are. I think I've been out there for the Noel Collection Tour. I've been out there for an All Y'all event. Bloom Com- Rally. Yeah, the, commu- uh, the, the community renewal organization has their uh, – Croquet tournament
2: out there, yes. and
0: so I've gotten to use your campus for a number of things—not going to college there, but
2: um, anyway, it's it's a beautiful place. But you're you're LSU alumni, so you can go like you can go to the library. You can go really. All yeah, the, yeah.
1: We'll, we'll we'll work with you. We'll take you in okay. and do whatever. Well, you need Old to student do. ID, my old, old
0: 1999 student you. ID out. Yeah. Um, who's my next podcast guest? Who do I need to have on this show? Who's gonna? Who will have a positive conversation about things we can actually make happen in truth?
1: Um, I think there's some great pra- people at City Hall right now. Keith Hansen, the new CTO, is I like uh, doing a lot of great things, and uh, I think he could come and talk about what he's your what smart he's city to do. initiative guy. There he? there he is. All there right. he is. Giving him a plug.
0: Well, um, I'm putting Keith on the list, and hopefully he'll he'll be willing to come sit down with us. So when are you moving back to England? Never. Never? You're going to stay right here in Treeport. i a proud American
1: side. citizen right now.
0: That, well, congrats on that. Thank you for being here so much, Dr. Lesseter. What is your – um, what is your official title at lsu so I get it right?
1: I'm the Vice Chancellor of Strategic Initiatives. Vice
0: Chancellor of Strategic Initiatives. Well, it sounds like you guys are being very strategic and seeing some great results over there. So thank you for coming in today. I appreciate it.
1: You're more than welcome.